0: Good morning. Fountain Life Bible Church again, uh, live streaming video as well as coming across 98.5 WTFM. We hope uh, you're being blessed in this wonderful Lord's Day. It may be raining outside, but we just call that liquid sunshine. Uh, I have an opening passage of scripture I'd like to share with you here. It's taken from Acts chapter 4. Neither is there salvation in any other, but there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marvelled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You cannot come in contact with the living Lord Jesus Christ if it doesn't change you. And here were men who were fishermen, men who did not have an education, but just spending time with Jesus for those three and a half years as he walked this sphere and changed them forever. Our prayer requests this morning, Kim Penix, Murph, Pam Smith, Nancy Johnson, Angie Grissom, Jacob Slagle, Jack Shipley, Chuck Richardson, Randy Jones, Jackie Timon, and Morris and Carolyn White. Let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come into your holy presence. We thank you for the love of God that has shed and in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the revelation of the knowledge of you. We thank you, Father God, that we can gather together in this capacity of not to be here uh, in body. But we know, Father God, that the church is not a building made of brick and wood, uh, but it's the body of Christ. And so we, uh, we are of one spirit to worship you, to praise you because you're worthy. So many of us, Father God, remember what life was like before you, and we don't ever want to go back again. We want to keep our eyes upon the cross and keep following you. Father, we lift it to you, each one of these precious souls who are needing special prayer for situations and circumstances and health issues. And I know there's so many more out there, but we rejoice in your holy word that tells us that you know our need, even before we speak it. And so, Father God, we just lift up to you all our cares. We cast all our care upon you because you care for us. And it is by your stripes that we were healed. Lead us this day for your glory. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazareth we do ask and pray these things. And all of God's children said, Amen. Uh, I don't claim to be a musician. I just like to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And I like a lot of different types of music. I particularly like uh, a Southern rock, rock sound. Uh, I sort of like, uh, it goes back to Charlie Daniels and Wet Willie and uh, all these different, I, I really like Allman Brothers, Leonard Skinner, and I always like that uh, type. But I also like uh, some classical music, and I like bluegrass. And so this morning, the song I want to do for you if you remember the old Hee Haw show, there was Grandpa Jones on there and he wrote this song. And uh, I hope I can make it
1: where you can understand. All the that was scattered on the ground. The birds had flowers that were here and be found. All the friends he once knew are not around. They are scattered like the leaves upon the ground. Some folks drift along through life and never drift. for them cannot be found. All the friends that he once knew are not around. They are scattered by the leaves upon the
0: ground. Uh, there's a lot of great bluegrass artists in this area. She plays with a group, sings a lot of different places. And my sister, Donna, she uh, had opened for the, traveled with the Belly Brothers and uh, opened up for a lot of different artists, uh, Conway, Twitty, and such, and had a contract offered to her by RCA. And in other words, just real proud of her. So my sister's got all this talent and I'm, well, I'm me. Mean, I wanna, this song I wanna do for you now. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about the author. He came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and uh, he ran an overhead crane in Bethlehem Steel, which back then was a terrible and hard place to work. In fact, it was one of these big, huge cranes that run on a track that has a big magnet uh, that moves big coils of steel. He came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and he was excited about it. And one day, he was up in that crane. And he was still smoking at that time. He smoked a pipe, and he said, "Lord, I I want more of you." And he took that pipe and broke it. And he said, "There was such a flood of joy that came into him." And he grabbed an envelope and he wrote this song. There are- and quite a songwriter in his own right in fact here, when he was in the military he was on what was called the horse High show When he was uh he was doing music in europe and uh that went on to be with the lord in 1999 and i still miss him to this day i truly do well i want to get to the word let me move this little pulpit out of the way here if i may and uh passes of scripture I'm gonna open with, if I can get to it here, is taken from Matthew. Hold well, on just saying That's not okay. First Corinthians chapter one. Oh come on Vic, get over here to it. Getting closer. Those you listen regularly, through the pages turning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so very much for your holy, inspired, inerrant, and foul word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And Father, we ask that your word be hidden in our heart that we might not sin against you. We ask that you bring all things to our remembrance that you have taught us. Let your word go forth and accomplish all that you send it forth to do. For these things we ask and pray in Jesus' precious name and all of God's children said, Amen. A few years back, I'm guessing about three years ago, uh, on local news, a story came forth about a minister in a local church, a minister that I knew, uh, who came forth and said that he had read 60 books and no longer believed that Jesus Christ was God and took one step further and said that he did not even believe that there is a God. 60 books he read. That just goes to show you that comic books are not all that good for intellectual advancement. Must have comic books if he read 60 books <laughs> He comes to the conclusion that there is no God. Uh, 60 books. I've got more than that on just one shelf. It's amazing. Uh, how can anybody. In fact, God's word says. The fool has said in his heart. There is no God. God's word tells us. The psalmist said. That he considered the stars in the sky. The heavens that declare the glory of God. Their expanse is handiwork. Night unto night reveals knowledge. Day unto day reveals. In other words, creation itself. In Romans, the first chapter, God's Word clearly tells us that we can understand the Trinity just by the things that are made. And uh, how anybody can come forth, particularly somebody who had claimed to be a minister. And Some people may say, well, that just goes to show you that you can get saved and turn around and lose your your salvation. No, that does not prove that. Now, I'm not trying to, to teach to you... Uh, Uh, Once in grace, always in grace. That's not in the Bible. I am teaching, and want to teach you what's called the perseverance of the saints. But it absolutely amazes me how many people who are in church, whose memberships in church, and have no uh, understanding about salvation. There are so many people who still think, well, you know, hopefully, my good outweighs my bad and I'll get into heaven. Now, let me tell you something. If you're counting on your good works to get you into heaven, you're going to split hell wide open. I'm just being honest with you. You can't be good enough to earn salvation and you cannot be good enough to keep salvation. We're going to, we're going to refer to some scriptures here in a little bit and hopefully if you don't have your Bible with you, you can write these, these references down. As never before, Christianity is being attacked. If you get a chance, there's a book called The Dark Agenda written by David Horowitz. Brilliant man, a scholar, and in intellect. He was an atheist and he finally had to, his studies and such, he came to the conclusion that atheism uh, just, doesn't, just does not hold water. And in his book, and also <clears throat> you can check this out in other, various other sources. Back in 99, uh, when I was accepted at the University of Oxford. Uh, At Oxford, you have different colleges within the college. Uh, The Belial College, you you, you had different ones. The one, the college that I was uh, a student at was called Christ Church. And uh, at the time, there were many well-known scholars at Oxford, as there always has been. But one of the most uh, that they were proud of was a man by the name of Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins wrote a number of books literally attacking Christianity. Uh, and, and in fact, one of those books, uh, uh, The God Confusion. Uh, and he literally would attack Christianity. It wasn't so much that he claimed to be an atheist. He wanted to attack Christianity. And here in the United States, uh, a man who died not that many long years ago called Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, two famous atheists, uh, as well as they were reading works by Bertrand Russell and people like this, who did not have any faith in God. They don't don't even want to be called, in fact, Christopher Hitchens didn't even want to be called an atheist. He wanted to be called an anti-theist. In other words, atheist just means you don't believe in God he wanted to make it clear he was anti-theist. Theism or theo means God. He wanted to let it be known that he wanted to attack God. The existence of God. We know that there was uh, William Templeton who had been a friend of Billy Graham. That Billy Graham was, the time Billy Graham was his best friend. And all of a sudden, he stopped preaching, became an atheist. He too wrote many books uh, trying to prove the case that there wasn't wasn't a God. And he based the reason why he came to that conclusion was because of a cover on Life magazine where it showed a woman in Africa holding her dead baby looking up to the sky and on the caption of the magazine it said all she wanted was rain. And he got it in his mind, if there is a God and that God is good, how could he allow that to happen? So he came to the conclusion there couldn't be a God if he would allow bad things like that to happen. Let me tell you something. We sang the old hymn, This is my father's world, but it's the devil's, by squatter's rights. There's only two powers in the world, the Lord God Almighty or the devil. Now, God gave mankind the blessedness, the wonder, the glory to inhabit this earth. It was perfect. There was no problem. But as God says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and death is passed upon all men because all have sinned. We see in Romans the 8th chapter, God's Word says, Even the earth moans and groans waiting for the day of redemption. The the effects of man's sin has even corrupted. That's why we have tsunamis and tornadoes and and all these things. It's a result of the infection of sin in creation. That's why you see a beautiful rose you go to pick it and you'll cut your finger on a thorn. You see, these things are not God's fault. He gave us perfection and we gave it to the devil. You say, well, I did, not I went down. let me tell you something. When it comes to Adam and Eve, it's, it's, it's called representative government. What they did, you and your spouse would have done exactly the same. And so what happened to them? We are dealing with the effects of it. And, and just because there are bad things that happen in the world, we need to realize that not everything that bad happens doesn't have, perhaps in God's mind, A good outcome. We know Romans 28, 828 tells us, all things, not just the pleasant things, but all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and who are the call according to His purpose. Uh, I know that uh, uh, Rick Warren out in California at Saddleback Church, I have visited his church, he uh, became very famous by his purpose-driven books. And I've I've read the books and uh, there's some good points in But what bothers me is the purpose driven gives the indication of what is my purpose. that's what he addressed. Well, it's clear. You go back to the Westminster Confession of Faith. God's word is explicit in in, in, indicating and instructing us that man's purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We have to realize that God, when we yield our heart and mind and soul to the Lord God Almighty, he places us geographically in the world where he wants us. He, he places us in the a, in a, a time warp that he would have us in, the time-space continuum where he would have us. We know that from Acts 17 before the foundation of the world. God had determined when and where he would live on this planet. You see, he even knows the tiniest bird that falls to the ground. He knows God's word says when we sit down, when we stand up. He knows our thoughts are far off. God's word also tells us that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. There are large denominations, cults if you will, that teach a dangerous and erroneous salvation. You see, I believe the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the inspired and errant and found the word of God. Thomas Jefferson, even though he was a deist said, somebody doesn't know the Bible is not a, a well-rounded educated person. But you take you take Richard Dawkins, and he literally will has has written that Christians are dumb, they are stupid. This is where Bill Maher gets a lot of his his uh, quotes and such. We, we see Christopher Hitchens think that the stupidest people in the world, antiquated, out of reality, out of touch, are Christians. You see, they are literally as God's Word tells us, Second Corinthians 4.4, four. The God of this world—that's the devil. The God of this world has blinded their minds, lest they should see. I've seen five little, five-year-old little kids who clearly understood salvation, and I have seen ge- geniuses at Oxford who could not comprehend salvation. You know why? Because it was not given to them of the Lord. Now I, I feel it very important. That at this day and time, with all the things that are going on in the world, you know, every day we turn on the news, we have so many things that are just scaring the daylights out of us. Uh, I listened this morning that uh, two major uh, Smithfield and Tyson meat packing companies have shut down, farmers can't get their livestock to market, and there may be a meat shortage. And this Will, will perhaps have a, a domino effect on so many other areas of food. These things scaring people death. The suicide rate going up. People in depression skyrocketing. And so a lot of people now are taking a second look at eternity. Now this whole situation, just like here at the church, uh, our sanctuary will seat over 800 people. We do two services. Not that we have that many people in service by no stretch. We have but uh, not, not regularly. And here within the last few years, most evangelical churches have been slowly dying. And because of this situation that's going on now, more and more people are a little bit more interested in God and the events and situations. And even though we can't meet in this sanctuary by uh, live stream video, by radio, We are reaching more people now than we were able to reach here in this sanctuary. Now I want to come back to the sanctuary. I want to have a beautiful, wonderful, talented praise team to do the music. I can't wait. It'll be glorious. We'll have a great time celebration and glory. But I also see the fact that the word of God is getting out to people who would not normally be sitting here. Now again as uh, William Templeton and as Dawkins and Hitchings and all them will, will use the basis of because there is evil and cruelty in the world, that's why there is no God. Let's look at that statement just a moment. You take Christopher Hitchens, and he said because of, of the evilness of the, what's bad in the world, in fact, I'd recommend to you another book called The Case for Faith, written by Lee Strobel. And to have somebody come up to you and say if there is if there is a God in this world, why does He allow bad things to happen to children, to people, to the innocent people? Well, that very statement presupposes that there is some reference to what we would call good. Uh, for example, again, uh, make reference again to Oxford. The way my wife and I would get around over there, you would have these bus tickets that you'd buy. And, different ones, different colored uh, lines. You would just stand there, and here within a minute or two, bus come along, you get off, you get on, but the bus would be so crowded, people would be hanging on uh, the bars and the straps, uh, they couldn't get a seat. Take for example, if I were, I got on the bus and I was standing there holding on to the bar because there was no place to sit, and all of a sudden this college professor sees that there is a place that is vacant because somebody got up. If all of a sudden I jumped in front of him and I sat down in that spot, he would holler, hey, wait a minute. That's not fair. Well, what does he base that on? What does he base what is fair and what is not fair? I like what C.S. Lewis said. Ontologically, that's one of those $10 words. Every people in the world, whether remote, whether isolated, maybe never reached by civilization, every people have some concept and understanding of what is right and what is wrong. He says, But wait a minute, Vic, what about uh, uh, an African chief who may have 20 wives? Yeah, but he can't have any wife he wants. Why? Because everybody knows there is a limit to this. This is acceptable. That is acceptable. How does every human being have that that has not been. You, now, Richard Dawkins came up with a term we see it a lot on social media meme. He's actually want to come up with a meme, which is something that is propagated because of interaction with other people. Yet there are tribes of people who have never been, had any interaction that still have an understanding of right and wrong, acceptable and unacceptable. Where did that come from? So the person that says that is wrong when somebody starves or something like that happens, which we would all agree is, is, is terrible, they are pre, presupposing presupposition that there is some reference of a higher good. Now, back in the 11th century, a man by the name of M. Ansel A. M. S. E. L. M. Ansel of Canterbury did some fantastic writings, and he did. He he, he, he supported the belief in the Bible and Christianity demonstrating, And we use the word teleological, or rational explanations to things and events in the Bible. And he even addressed this, Anselm even addressed this situation. He said, so everybody has an idea that there is something good that gives every man the understanding of a good. And if there is a good, then there is a higher good, an ultimate good, And he said that ultimate good is called God. And so to to use the argument because there is bad in the world that couldn't be a God is actually contradict yourself to proving just because of your understanding that there is a just and holy God. Now there are a lot of denominations in situations that uh, teach various ways of salvation. Supposedly, Protestant, even called evangelical churches that uh, teach how to be saved. Now, I want to explain to you Fenton Like Bible Church. We are a non-denominational church. We embrace biblical, historic Christianity. Uh, some of the seminaries that I went to, one local seminary, was uh, established by a group of people, some call them... Uh, Uh, The Church of Christ, United Church of Christ, Disciples of Christ, uh, Non-Instrumental Church of Christ. I grew up in this. Boulevard Christian Church in Baltimore, Maryland started in our home. But as I was a student at the seminary over at Milligan, I was talking to a brave man, a tender, a good man, Dr. Buford Bryant, he's a wonderful man. And one day I was talking and and I've been studying our doctrine which I'm no longer a part of that group. I was studying our doctrine. This particular organization was founded by a Thomas and an Alexander, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Thomas and Alexander Campbell. Mom black for a second. Thomas and Alexander Campbell, about the middle of the 1800s. Uh, Thomas Campbell, Alexander was his son. Thomas had been a Presbyterian minister. He'd become fraught because of some of his beliefs. He came to the United States and became part of the Baptist organization. Again, they threw him out. But here's the interesting thing. When I was there at the seminary, and I'm not putting this down, some of the best uh, language departments in Hebrew and Greek, are right over here at Milligan College at uh, the seminary there. But here's the thing that I noticed. I asked Dr. Bryant one day. I said, sir, uh, something that troubles me. He said, what's that? I said, first off, to be in this denomination, you have to go to this denomination because it's the only one who recognizes what's called the Restoration Movement. And not only that, then you have to be baptized into this denomination, not some other denomination. And you have to take communion every Sunday to maintain your salvation every Sunday. And then you can do all these things and still turn around and lose your salvation. I said, that's exactly the pillars that Catholicism is built on. Bless his heart, he went straight up and turned left. And I had people later to tell me that I was the only person they knew that caused him to lose his temper. I regret that, but my questions were valid and he could not answer them. You see, to take that stand, to take that stand, Means to be saved, we have to ex- accept Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, plus we have to do this, that, and the other. Let me tell you something salvation is Jesus plus nothing, it is by grace and grace alone. God's word tells us, in Ephesians 2 8 9, for we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So if you have to be baptized, it's called baptismal regeneration. If you have to be immersed to be saved, then you're having to do something. That's not salvation. If you have to take communion every Sunday to maintain your salvation, then that's not a free gift. That's not grace. And so as a result, we have to look at this situation. The other day my son Matthew was talking to somebody about uh, uh, the artist formerly known as Prince, you know, as you know, he didn't die that long ago. And, and uh, they were telling them, whether he's in heaven or not, I don't know. Uh, in fact, here's the thing about Christians. We are never to judge a person's eternity. You never know what transpires between God and an individual, even seconds before they pass. You have no concept. So we're, we're to never pass eternal judgment on somebody. But an individual is telling that, well, you know he had to go to heaven. He was such a good guy. He belonged to a religious group. Let me tell you, there's going to be a lot of good people in hell. God's Word even tells us that the devil himself can appear as an angel of light. And if we count on our good works to get us into heaven, then we're already getting something out of it. First off, we we, say, God, I deserve this. See, that's not salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. That's not grace. Grace means our unmerited favor, unmerited favor. See, if you're trusting in anything else, just like uh, Prince, his following, uh, was by a group that was founded by uh, Charles Taz Russell. And Charles Taz Russell had some weird doctrinal beliefs that he could not support with the Bible. And so what did he do? He wrote his own Bible. He took the Bible and rewrote certain passages to make it fit. called a New World Translation. To make it fit to his agenda. For example, in John, the first chapter, God's word says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was God, and the Word, uh, the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word dwelt with God, and the Word was God. In a New World Translation, it says, and the Word was a God, little g. So he has, in other words, Jesus was not considered God incarnate. Oh, they consider him a good prophet. But he was not God incarnate. Now, let me explain something to you. If the Bible says, as Jesus prayed in John 17, I and the Father are one. We see that in John chapter 10. I and the Father are one. They have seen me. They have seen the Father. Time and again, Jesus is letting us know. When he was was brought on trial, as we looked at on Easter, and and, and he was asked by the Sanhedrin, are you the Son of God? Are you the child of God? Are you the Messiah? He said, it's as you said. There's no doubt about it. The Jews had no doubt whether Jesus was God incarnate. Jesus let them know and that's why they killed him. But there are groups now who will try to say, take for example, uh, the followers of Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith, now everything I share, I always tell the people of church, look it up. Never take just my word for it. Many years ago, in the middle of the 1800s, a man by the name of Solomon Spaulding he was a novelist. He was a minister, but he was a novelist. He wrote stories. He had uh, his book taken to a publisher, a manuscript. In fact, it was even titled The Lost Manuscript. And it mysteriously disappeared. And shortly thereafter after that, a young man by the name of Joseph Smith said, an angel by the name of Moroni had appeared to him and he copied down the words of this angel become known as the Book of Mormon. And the teachings in this group basically say that you, when you die, if you're a Mormon, when you die, you will have a planet of your own. You will be the God of your own planet. And the wives will be celestial wives who will continuously have children. Look these things up. A wonderful book that I recommend is called Kingdom of the Cults" by Walter Martin.
1: You see, there's a lot of
0: places that are called churches, a lot of places that here's how salvation is. But I want to know, and I think you want to know, what does the Bible clearly teach? The Bible has proven itself that it is the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, All Scripture is given by inspiration of, of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of God that men may be thoroughly furnished in all good works. So the Bible even claims its own theological, when I say theological, I mean God studied, inspiration. And so there are many teachings, teachings by well-meaning people, but teachings that have been influenced erroneously. You see, most people don't study their Bible. Most people will, will sit uh, were a religious speaker, you notice I didn't say necessarily a Christian nature, but a religious speaker. And they'll sit there like a baby bird in a nest waiting for the mama bird to drop a worm in their mouth. And they never look it up. There are people who are basing their eternity on false doctrines contrary to the word of God. Now I wanna make it perfectly clear, I do not by any stretch of the imagination claim that fountains of life we're the only ones that have the true answer nothing being further from the truth there are many truly bibliocentric bible believing churches and they're all around us many times we'll have people come to the church and at the end of the sermon when i give an invitation uh, Maybe they would be the first Sunday that ever showed up and they'll come up and say, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And not only that, but I want to place my membership here at Fountain of Life. I said, well, wait a minute. We're happy that you have received Jesus as your Savior, but have you read our doctrinal statement? No. I said, you need to go back there and read our doctrinal statement and make sure you understand it and that you accept it before you join this church. You need to know what you're joining. I get calls, my wife can testify to this, and my son the same way. We get calls all the time or uh, text messages. I got a couple yesterday from people who go to other churches but will text us or call us and ask us about doctrinal or biblical questions. And I'm thinking, you're going to a church that you can't trust them to give you an accurate uh, answer? And a lot of times people go to churches, well, that's where mommy and daddy goes, or that's a church I was brought up in, or mamaw will get mad if I don't go to that church. I don't care if it's town, from life, wherever. You need to be where you can get spiritually fit. And above that, you need to be where you will hear the uncompromised word of God, the truth taught. Salvation is not a difficult thing. God's word says in Romans 10, if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Now it didn't say, but you have to be baptized or you have to take communion or you have to read the book of Mormon or you have to read the New World Translation or you have to go out and hand out watchtower tire tracts or anything. It doesn't say that. In fact, God's Word also tells us in Romans 10, how shall they hear unless we be sent? And how shall they be sent unless they send a preacher? It didn't say that we will be saved by a brass band. There's many people who go to churches, particularly you see this in mega churches. Uh, I saw, and like I said, when I was out in California, I went to Saddleback Church. And when I, when I sat there in the service, it was a beautiful service, and it was very entertaining. In fact, it could be a television presentation a lot of people go to church because, oh, we just love the music there or they got a lot of good programs there and never they preach the word of God there. That's that's the most important thing. Are they teaching the uncompromised word of God? Years ago, a, a fellowship that I'm part of called the Fellowship of Grace Brethren Church is this non-denomination. And I was on a lot of the different boards. And... Uh, We had a person who was chairman of the board that year, he said, at our annual conference, he said, I've invited a man that is really popular right now to speak at our national conference, and I think everybody's going to really like him. His name is Brian McLaren. Well, I've written three papers upon request that were presented at the University of Oxford, in England. And one of the papers that I wrote, actually one and a half of the papers, deals with a phenomenon that's going on right now called the emergent church. And Brian McLaren is one of the founders and propagators of what's called the emergent church. And I brought this to her attention. I said, do you know what this man believes? Well, I don't, I don't know. I, I know that he has Bob Bell and all those think that he's great. And, and I think we ought to have I said, wait a minute. This man doesn't think there's anything wrong with homosexuality. In fact, he conducted the marriage to his son to his partner. Now, this is a whole other topic we won't get in at this time. But he also would state that if you, oh you can have a church anywhere, you can have a church over at Starbucks, and if you want to, take a get you a sandwich, cheeseburger, milkshake, and you can have communion. That the milkshake is the blood of Christ, the hamburger is the the bread of life, the body of Christ. I'm not making this up. This is the things that they teach in the American church. So many churches today, there are churches right around here that I hear all the time. All the music is great. And it's it's basically a hallelujah barn. People get in there and they just start having a great time. Uh, A wonderful musician and songwriter, Tony Ellenberg, I'll never forget that he said he was visiting a charismatic church one time and said they were having a worship service. And he said all of a sudden one person in the congregation would start singing, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And all of a sudden another person from the other side, when that was done, would start leading everybody and singing, How great thou art. Or another one would start, Amazing Grace. He said one young man up in the balcony was really getting into it and he started singing, She'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. (laughs) True. And the people started singing with him. You see, that's a hallelujah born. It's not emotionalism. Now, the understanding of salvation is very emotional. Just like the song my dad wrote many, many years ago. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his grace. We need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. See, God's Word tells us in Hebrew chapter 11 verse 6. No one can come unto me, Well, we see this in John 6, but particularly in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. God's Word tells us that those who come to him must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, it makes you ask the question, are we saved the moment we pray the sinner's prayer or has salvation been working before we get there? Salvation been working in us before we got there. You see, God's word tells us in Ephesians 1 chapter, before the foundation of the world, the Lord knew us and he called us. You see, you can't even have a desire for the Lord unless he has drawn you. John chapter 6, 65. Jesus said, No man can come unto me unless he is drawn by the Spirit. Now, I don't know, I don't past judgment, but Christopher Hitchens, Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, Bernard Russell, Bill Maher, they don't understand it. It's foolishness to them. Remember God's Word says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. They don't understand it. They are blind to it. They're not interested. They don't want it. In fact, they want to attack it. They want to attack it. They asked uh, Christopher Hitchens one time, about the time that uh, President Bush was talking about the axis of evil, which is Korea, Iraq, and Iran. They asked uh, Hitchens, said, what do you think is the axis of evil? And he said Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. In other words, all religion, any kind of religion, was a real axis evil. That is how much he has hated, despised, wanted to attack Christians. Why would you want to attack Christianity that only teaches good? That changes people's lives. But indeed, that's what what they wanted to do to this day. To this day, there are so many liberals who will try to take the Lord out, out of everything. It takes prayer out of school. You go to Washington D.C. You go to the Visitor Center in Washington D.C. They have tried to remove and strike any reference. For example, the motto of our government is "In God We Trust." They tried to take that out and tried to put up there that our motto is "E pluribus unum," out of many come to one. And fortunately, some congressmen saw it and said, "Wait a minute, that, that's erroneous." But they wanted to take anything away that was a reference to the Lord. You see, we're under attack. Christianity's under attack. But if you have a hunger and a desire to search out the Lord, then you're being drawn by the Holy Spirit. If you can hear of salvation and understand salvation, then you're being drawn by the Holy Spirit. I heard Phil Donahue say one time, he said, I do not like the song Amazing Grace. And he said, the reason I do not like the song Amazing Grace because it has a reference in there who has saved a wretch like me. He said, I know wretch. And I thought, more than you realize, buddy. More than you realize. You see, I've had a lot of people tell me, they say, well, Vic, I don't want to come to the Lord because I'm in need right now. The only way you're going to come to the Lord is you know you need a Savior. Uh, I heard a minister say one time that... uh, He'd never been sick, he'd never had any pain whatsoever. I said, all of a sudden, he got a kidney stone. And so when he got to the hospital, he said, I knew I was going to die. And he said, I had to have him turn the TV on to a, a Christian station, and uh, it just so happened that uh, he was reading regarding the birth of Jesus, and his name shall be Jesus, and he shall save me. He said. He laid there, he said, that's what I need. I need saving. I need a Savior. I'm in horrific pain. Life itself right now, where you're at, you may be lonely, you may be scared, you may have loved ones you're, you're, you're worried, sick about. You need a Savior. Jesus is the Savior. There's no other name we read in our call to worship this morning. There's no other name given under heaven whereby a man can be saved than the name of Jesus. And so as we see that you have to realize and believe there is a God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Their expanse is handiwork. You see, we we see that in Psalm 19. We we have to believe that there is a God. Now, I wanted to go through uh, an account in Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 to 23. And I'm not going to go back and read it, but I encourage you to do so. I'll I'll just talk about it. Jesus is giving the parable of the seed and the sower and he gives an illustration of four types of seed that is being planted and at this time in the middle east they would do planting for for wheat different than we would imagine they would basically broadcast it or throw in in fact one uh, One author I had read about said that they literally put two sacks on each side of a donkey and cut a little hole in it and let the doggy walk up and down. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But the farmer who would broadcast the wheat would throw it out. And the paths between the fields or the crop area where everybody walked would be so packed down and hard there'd be some of the seed that would fall on that packed ground. And as a result... Uh, birds come by and get it and take it. and never even had a chance. I even to begin to grow. And Jesus tells us the illustration here that that represents people who has no use for the Lord, who not are not interested in any shape, form, or fashion. Don't even want to know it. Just I don't even want to talk about it. The seed represents the gospel. The one who throws the gospel out there, the other farmer, is in reference to Jesus Christ. So the first illustration that he gives is the seed is thrown out. And it fell on the pack or the hard ground. And the birds came and gobbled it up. Then he talks about the seed when it's broadcast like that. That there is some of the soil that would be perhaps between the rocks. And there would be a little depth of the soil. But below the little depth of the soil there would actually be uh, the terraform of the rock itself. And so the seed would take root. Just slightly. Because there was a soul, it wasn't packed down like the other reference was, and because of the warm environment, as such, all of a sudden the seed uh, is starting to grow. But all of a sudden, there's not enough roots there to cause it to survive. And when the sun hits it, it'll wither away. That represents those Christians who hear the gospel and they think, "Man, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread." That's on Sunday morning when somebody is drubbing to the front of the church. And then on Monday, they don't feel that way at all. They have heard it. They get excited about it. But they didn't embrace it. They didn't accept it. Then there is a seed that fell on the different ground. But also fell among the thorns. And so when the wheat started coming up and the thorns. But a lot of times when they would turn the soil over, they wouldn't pull up the thorns. They just roll the dirt over, but the thorns would come right back up and the wheat that fell on the thorny ground would be choked out. And this represented people who heard the gospel, claimed to be saved, even walked in it in a while, but because of the cares of this world, situation, circumstance, they turned their back on it. You remember I told you earlier about this local minister? I truly believe he was never saved again. the beginning. He not only turned his back on God, he joined an atheistic organization and even wrote a hymn, if you will, to atheism. He not only turned his back and said, I have questions. He not only turned his back on God, he turned his back and he became an anti-theist. Not just an atheist, but an anti-theist. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have people say, oh, but he's still such a nice guy. Remember where I said, the the devil himself appears as an angel of light? God's word tells us be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Then the fourth and final seed fell on good soil. Does that mean that only people who are saved are good people? No, a lot of very bad people get saved. But the soul that fell, uh, the seed that fell on soul that was good and able to grow, could take deep root and receive the moisture and grow and produce fruit. But do not misunderstand; it's not just talking about good people. Because to, to believe that, you you have to accept the fact that I have to do good works to be saved. That is not what it's saying. There was. A monk in the 4th century from the British Isles uh, that believed that everybody had a certain amount of good in them. And uh, his name was Pelagius. Now there's, in all of Christianity, as I'm starting to close here, I want to go over something with you. In all of evangelical Christianity, there are only three types of theology. Now I know that's a bold statement. Three types of theology. One is Augustine, other is semi-Pelagianism, and the, and the third is Pelagianism. Pelagians taught that there's enough good in everybody that you don't need Christ. As long as you do good works, as long as you do not try to sin, as long as you keep up with the social mores, you'll be saved. And there's a semi-Pelagians that says, well, we've got to do good works. We have to be acceptable, but we still need God's grace. You see, that's no salvation at all. Salvation from beginning to end. God's word says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. From he began it, he'll end it. God's word tells us so very clearly in 1 Timothy, uh, first chapter 12. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And so we come to Augustine's. Because of the early church father Augustine. Brave man, brave mind. And Augustine uh, referred to Pelagius as a heretic. Because he's trying to prove that you can be saved apart from grace. God's word tells us time to get man's heart is desperately wicked. King David himself in Psalm 51 said, In sin did my mother conceive me. Original sin. And as a part of original sin... God's word says there's none righteous. No, not one. Salvation as Augustine taught is this. The Lord Jesus draws us. As Jesus said, no man comes into the Father but by me. And Jesus says we must confess him as our only Savior. How do we are saved? It's Jesus Christ plus nine. Well, I've enjoyed being with you and studying God's word this morning. I hope you received a blessing from it. And never take just my word for it. You look these things up, they're easy to find. At this time we have a, a song that I'd like to have for you to hear. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. God bless. I can only imagine what it will be
1: like when I by your side, I can only imagine what my eyes will see when you